0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's so good to see you. Well done for coming to church tonight. <laughs> Amen. Wasn't that worship amazing? Absolutely. I mean, the team was amazing, but God was incredible. Can we just give the Lord another hand? You are so good, Lord. You are so good. And we are grateful. Well, tonight we're starting a new series. It's called Swimming Upstream. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of hard work, Um, which it is. But what we're really talking about is a culture of honor, discipleship and honor. What does it look like to truly honor God, honor people, honor the Word, honor government, honor leaders, we're going to look at a whole lot of things. And tonight we get to start by talking about honoring the word. And I've actually brought my physical Bible along for that so we can remember that we used to open pages, which is amazing. So um, as we start, I came across somebody called James K.A. Smith, and he wrote a book called You Are What You Love. The spiritual power of habit. Now, think about that for a minute. You are what you love. And over time, what we love forms habits in us, okay? Just like breathing, it becomes subconscious. We stop thinking about it. If you had to think about every breath you took, you would not think about anything else because every 30 seconds... (laughs) So what we love becomes second nature to us. It stops being a conscious choice, and it just becomes a habit. It becomes our default. And so what that means is, as human beings, we might actually be aware, unaware of what we really do love. And I know in my love, I say I love Jesus, I love the Word, I love worship, but maybe there are things I actually love possibly more that I'm just not aware of. And so, as I said, what the things we love become our habit. And here's the thing about habits habits prompt us, habits direct us in certain ways. Um, who's a driver in the house and you've had this experience? You arrive at work and you suddenly think, How did I get here? anybody? <laughs> That's the power of habit. What's happening there? Your brain, your body, your whole system is so used to driving to work that you can actually get there without causing an accident, and your brain can be thinking about something completely different. That's the power of habit. And over time, we become immersed in the practices and rituals that are forming and shaping and training our hearts in certain ways. In church, we call that liturgy. Have you all heard that word before? It's not a word we use a lot here, but it is very much a church word. It actually comes from the original Latin and means the work of the people. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) But what liturgy means is that it's a form of public worship, a ritual, okay? Um, It's an established or prescribed procedure. It's a repeating of thoughts, words, and deeds, So, love-shaping, heart-directing practices that we give ourselves to. And these things shape us in ways that we might not realize, especially in the case of cultural practices and rhythms. These cultural practices and rhythms literally become the liturgies of our heart. So how do you know what you actually love? Not what you say you love, but what you actually love. Well, in a nuts, nutshell, whatever we put emotion, time, effort into on a regular basis, that is what we love. Have you heard this phrase? Love is spelt T-I-M-E. For those of you unsure, time. Time. <laughs> Love is spelled T-I-M-E. And often we talk about that in the context of relationships of parents to children. It's absolutely true. But the reality is, is the thing we spend the most time on is the thing we love the most. Scary. As I've been preparing this week, I've been challenged. The Lord has really challenged my heart. And so if you want to know what you really love, just just look at what's in your diaries, look at at what's in your calendars. That's what's going to make it clear. That's going to tell us what we love and honor, what we give ourselves to. And the reality is, is that we plan our lives around the things we love. And so tonight as we're sitting here, we already have clear devotions. We are already devoted to things. As we sit here tonight, we have already established liturgies of the heart. And as I said before, especially in the case of cultural practices and rhythms, that's where they really get hold of us. So what is our culture today? Sorry, I'm just going to look it up quickly on Google. Oh, wow, Mayo, man, your Instagram post, you're looking fly, boy. Sorry this is our culture, isn't it? I mean, if aliens came down and they just observed any given afternoon, <laughs> they would know what we love. <laughs> we love our phones. <laughs> Look, they're useful, they're helpful, you know. They're they can actually get us out of some tough situations. Afika, you know, like, if you don't want to be at that party anymore, you just call Uber and it gets you out of there, you know. Uh, If you're single like me and you're just over your own cooking, you just get Uber Eats to come and deliver right to your house. I mean, those things are useful. That's helpful, you know. They can also be really entertaining and they can be fun. So we love our phones. But as I was considering this, I thought maybe the bigger problem is is that sometimes we think our phones love us. And that's really where it becomes a problem. Because that's where we let our phones create a culture for us. You know, that's when we let our phones via a million socials tell us how we should think, how we should feel, and how we should act. When our phones, or rather our socials, are impacting our worldview, that's when it becomes Problematic. Who's a millennial in the room today? (laughs) Who's a Gen Z in the room today? Yes, there we go. (laughs) They're with us, people. (laughs) They are here. You know, millennials really have brought many gifts to the world. I I, I sometimes get accused, I think, needless you know, I've been accused from that front row of dragging millennials, hey, yeah. But actually, I love millennials, and they've brought really great things to the world. And one of the good things that millennials have brought to us is a greater awareness of individual context. Um, The fact that everybody has a story, every culture has a story, every space has a unique story. And if we want to build a better future, we have to pay attention to those stories. We have to hear and listen to those stories. We've got to tell those stories. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. And we need to practice that, and we need to do that better. But like everything that's good, it can also have a downside. And one of the downsides of this focus on the individual context of stories is a little phrase that we hear a lot, my truth. Your truth, my truth, your truth. (laughs) Now, here's the problem with this, because what we're seeing in the world today is that when my truth contradicts with your truth, I decide to just cancel you. What have I done? I'm not listening to you anymore. And all that's happened is you've disagreed. We live in a culture where people don't know how to love each other and disagree. For centuries, the human race managed that. <laughs> and so there is a truth to my truth. <laughs> How ironic is that? Because, yes, it's my, it's my individual context, and that has formed me and shaped me. But my truth is not all truth. And if my, if my truth is not based on observable truth, absolute truth, It doesn't matter what I believe, things are going to go bad. There is objective truth out there, people. Right now, the only reason we're not flying off our chairs and slashing into the ceiling is because of something called? There we go. It's objective. We can fly, we can think and desire to fly as much as we want to without a plane or wings. But the second you launch off that roof, gravity is going to hurt you. And you're going to realize it exists. Winter is coming. Sorry to quote Game of Thrones. It's coming. It doesn't matter whether you enjoy winter or not. It doesn't matter if you would rather really not have winter. You're going to wake up at one point, and if you don't put your jersey on, you're going to feel really, really cold. And so we have to live in a space where we, we actually pay attention to objective truth. As Christians, we believe in absolute truth. That is quite a big claim. But it is what we believe in. We believe that God created the universe. That's absolute truth. We believe that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to live the life He should have lived, to die the death we should have died, to make a way to the Father. That is absolute truth. And ultimately... When something is absolute, everything else has to be tempered by it. Everything else has to be affected by it. Everything else revolves around the absolute truth. And whatever in my truth contradicts absolute truth, I really have to pay attention to. Because it might be a lie. So to recap, we are what we love, and what we love directs the liturgy of our heart and forms our habits and our practices on a daily basis. Because we will give time, effort, and emotion to what we love, we listen to what we love. What we love begins to dictate to us. It begins to tell us things. We begin to believe things from it. Not only is our worldview formed by what we love, but so is our theology. Scary, hey? (laughs) Our theology is formed from social media. Every blurb we read begins to affect our heart and our thinking. If we don't have a plumb line that we're going to measure it against. As Christians, we believe that anybody can believe whatever they want to believe. We believe in freedom of religion. That is Christianity. We will not force anybody to have to um, obey laws we follow or believe what we follow. We believe that. You're allowed to feel and think whatever you want to. We're not going to force you. But sometimes we can believe lies, and that will have an effect and an impact on our life and ultimately on the world. So tonight, I want to kind of make an argument about why God should be the thing we love, about why the Word of God should be something we love, that He should be the thing we spend our most time on, that this should be something we spend at least more time than Instagram on. So will not you turn, if if you've got a device or whatever, ironically, turn to Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19 to 23. One of the good things about our phones, you can take a Bible with you anywhere. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19 to 23. It will be up on the screen, but if you can open it, because I'm going to refer back there. No, that's not mine. I think you've got the morning slides up there, bro. You can just look for mine. Honor the word, hub, evening service. Isaiah 30, verse 19 to 23 says, For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. These vile idols, this is anything that we've placed in greater love than God. Anything we go to for comfort or security or for truth that isn't God. The very first commandment, you shall have no other gods besides me. And then finishing in verse 23, and he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. In that day, your livestock will gaze in large pastures. So it's just from this verse, I can see three reasons why we should love God first. I'm going to give them to you quickly, and then we'll unpack them a bit more. Firstly, he answers us with grace and mercy and love when we cry out to him in our time of need. Does Instagram or Facebook do that? In fact, when we're going through troubles and we try to put up our best life on Instagram, it's brutal. There's no mercy. It makes us feel even worse. Secondly, he is a teacher who knows not just everything about everything, but everything about you. God knows the personal, individual context of your life even better than you do, because he's seen your great, 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 great grandparents. Do you get what I'm saying? He gets your context more than you will ever get it and he is a personal teacher to you. Now WebMD and Wikipedia can be really useful, but they know nothing about you. In fact, I want to take it a step further because I was listening to somebody recently talking about the universe and how the universe is their God and through certain practices like the book The Secret, which is really old and is probably before your time, but you can cause the universe to give you exactly what you want. And you know, that sounds good, But as I was listening to that, I was thinking, but you know, I know that sometimes I really, really wanted things, and then when I got them, they hurt me. I know that a a legitimate answer to prayer is no. And that made me realize the universe doesn't know your name. And the universe doesn't care about you, it just gives you what you want. Even if that what you want is gonna kill you and maim you and damage you and other people. God knows your name. And God loves you, and He wants to give you what you need to live optimally, to live well. The third thing is that He speaks His word to us as we go on our way. You shall hear a word behind you, He is walking right behind us. I think we were singing that song about mercy running after us, goodness running after us from Psalm 23. His goodness and His mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. He speaks a word behind us. We are never alone. Even when we feel alone, we can know by absolute faith He is right there. I thought that I had read an article recently that spoke about spending too much time on social media can actually make us feel more lonely. And I found this, it's from a University of Pennsylvania study published in the December 2018 issue of the Journal of Social and Clinical Psychology. I've been learning how to cite things in my theological course. I'm telling you, this is on the net, you can go look for it, you will read exactly what I'm saying to you. Working with 143 undergraduates, researchers found that students who limited their use of Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat to 30 minutes a day for three weeks had significant reductions in loneliness and depression as compared to a control group that made no changes to their social media diet. And one of the factors that affects this thing about loneliness and depression is about comparing yourself to other people. I I wanted to make a joke when I was talking about Neo looking fly on Instagram. I wanted to say, but you're looking a bit slimmer than you do in life. Um, Zilis is the only person who has to find a filter that makes him look a little bulkier, you know? Um, (laughs) Because I was shocked, I was (laughs) looking... Sorry, Zilis, I'm dragging, I'm so sorry, so sorry. Um, I I was looking for something that could turn photos into short videos, okay? And obviously, I, just, I came across an Instagram filter thing, and it was great, and it, it did what I wanted, but I was shocked, I'd never even thought about this. 80% of the, of the app is how to you shave your chin down and lighten your skin, and unble- I was like, what? I mean, when I next went onto Instagram, I was like, go? <laughs> I mean, how are you gonna rock up for your Instagram for your <laughs> online date? He's not even gonna know who you are. I was really surprised, (laughs) but this is what we do in our world, and that's why there's loneliness and depression, because we present something to the world. Everybody's presenting their best life. Nobody's going on Instagram and say, today I woke up and I hated myself so much, I ate all the chocolate in the cupboard. Then I went and bought more and ate all of that, and now my doctor's telling me I really need to stop. Nobody posts that. But that's the reality of everybody's life. No matter how good somebody looks, not everything is ever going to be perfect. And we have tendencies as human beings to compare ourselves, and it's the worst thing we can do. You would have imagined that as millennials helped us understand individual contexts that we'll recognize there's a reason there are individual contexts. So what am I comparing myself to? So spending time with Jesus in the Word of God shapes our hearts. It really does. So I brought my Bible to show you something. Can we just be honest with that? Sometimes reading the Bible is hard. hard. Can we just be honest with it? Also, as Christians, we've been told that if we don't read our Bible one day, our whole lives are going to suck and it's going to be awful and God's going to kind of dislike us. So that's a lie. We need to read this regularly. If you miss a day, I promise you, the gates of hell are not opening for you. I promise you. Because this is the wonder of God. Every time we read this Bible, the same thing happens. I spent so much of my life as a young Christian repenting for not having read my Bible that I didn't have time to read my Bible. God is not impressed. God's just like, you're here, let's do the thing. We put all kinds of human characteristics on God that he doesn't have. God is not petty. The Bible says he keeps no record of sins. He doesn't care you didn't read tomorrow. He's just excited you're here right now. So do the thing. But we also make up weird reasons not to read our Bible. I'm not going to understand it. I'm not holy enough. Well, it's a book to start off with. How do you read a book? this is what reading your Bible looks like. Oh. It's as simple as that. You open the page and you read. It's written in paragraphs. You will see. We're going to talk about grammar in a moment. Grammar is really important. The verses and chapters, God did not put them in there. Do you know that? And if you, if you read your Bible enough, you'll You you will find out there are a couple of chapters, in fact quite a few chapters, that start in the middle of a sentence, not even at a comma, just between two random words. Why? Because a man put the chapters and verses in. It's a good idea. One of the popes said, listen, I can't find the scripture I'm looking for, at least people can't find it, so why don't we put chapters and verses in? And he he chose a scribe, and he got him to do it, and he gave him a deadline, and and the guy was busy, and so sometimes he was in the back of a cart. And people think that when the cart bounced, that's where the next verse started. Because you'll see, it's weird. There's some verses that also just start in the middle of sentences. So when you're reading the Bible, ignore the chapters and verse, read the paragraph. Now, why do we do that? Because it's about context. Day, you know those verses of a day? It's not bad. But if that's all you do, you're going to have a very warped understanding of what the Bible is. (laughs) I love it when YouTube pops a verse up on my phone and it actually means something to you. It's awesome. But every verse lives in a a paragraph. And so just read a paragraph. If you're not sure what happened, just keep going until something means something to you. It's as simple as that. But here's some tips. Well, just one tip that I want to get to you tonight. Is that when you read the Bible and you and something jumps out of you, something means something to you, even if it doesn't, you just read your paragraph and then ask two questions of what you've just read. The first question is what does the word tell me about God? What is the scripture telling me about God? So, as I said, I've been studying theology this year, and the definition of theology it comes from two Greek words theos, which is God and logos, which is the word, or a word. Ology in, in modern English has come to mean the study of, but it comes from the root logos. So biology is the study of life, living things. Psychology, the study of the human psyche. So literally, theology means the study of God. However, unlike biology, we, we can't get um, to... What was that dude's name? It's gone out of my head. Attenborough, what was his name? David Attenborough or whatever it was. Then don't know if maybe before your time. But if you've ever watched a life, uh, uh, um, a wildlife documentary, you know what I'm talking about. We can't get somebody to go with a camera crew and go, here we are in the very habitat of heaven. Um, we can't do that <laughs> because we can't study God directly. So what is theology actually? It's a word about God, theos logos a word about God. Well, what is the word? This is the divine revelation of God. How do we study God? Through the word of God. Are you getting why reading your Bible matters? It doesn't just matter, it is vitally important. If you are a Christian and you're not reading your Bible, how do you know God? James Merritt says that the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. Biblical literacy is great. You know, knowing who Moses' mother was. Does anybody know who Moses' mother was? Anybody in the room? Your moment to show off. Jochebed. (laughs) Some of you knew that. That's great, but it's really not going to lead you to deeper salvation. And so I want to say that when I've learned, that when I read the Bible, I read it for relationship. I read it for intimacy. I read it for companionship. Because Jesus is in these pages. The second question you ask the text is, what is God saying to me from the word? Now, can we be honest? We love reading the Bible when we're in trouble. And we just want to find the promise, and we just want to find the comfort. It's there. It is so full of both of those things. But D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody says this, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. And so let's find the comfort. Let's find the promise, absolutely. But let's also find where the Bible challenges our thinking. Where the Bible challenges our attitude, where it challenges our belief system, where it makes us aware of what God wants from us. What needs to change in my thinking, in my feeling, in my behavior to align with the will of God? The Bible knows you. The dude who wrote The Message Paraphrase, my COVID brain is kicking in. Um, (laughs) Eugene Peterson, that's who it is. He wrote a whole book about what he discovered when he was paraphrasing Scripture into The Message. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. It just means that there's specific interpretation put on it. It's beautiful, it's great. Um, read the message, but then immediately go back to the ESV and make sure if you're going to create doctrine that that's where you make the doctrine from. But read the message, it's beautiful, I love it. But, but he wrote this book and he, about the whole process of that and it was basically how to read your Bible. And he, two of the things he said in that book that I have just loved is that the Bible is the only book in the world that knows you're there. Because it's living. And then in line with what I'm saying to you now, he also made this quote. He said, the Bible reads you back. It knows you. And so if you want to know yourself, if you want to understand purpose and destiny, if you want to understand what is required of you, read the Bible. So going back to our text, let's, let's unpack those three reasons that we should make God the primary love of our lives, that we should honor His Word. He answers from verse 19 says, at the sound of your cry, as soon as he hears it, he answers you. So as I've said, the point of Christianity, the point of divine revelation, the point of God giving us the word of God is relationship. Every single thing God has done from the creation of the, of the universe is about relationship. Everything God has done. And the point is that we come to him so that he can speak to us. And then he will comfort us, and he will heal us, and he will know us, and he will let us know him. And here's the question we have to ask. Do we just want what he has, or do we want him? Do we just want what he does, or do we want him? See, we cannot hear him without being with him. That's what Isaiah says. He will show us graciousness by doing what? The second we cry out, he answers but sometimes we want an answer but he tells us truth and so sometimes we don't want to hear him we just want him to fix it but he wants relationship we just want stuff we just want to feel better that's our humanity it's who we are it's okay we've got to push through that John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word. That's the logos, again, the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Bill Johnson says that Jesus is the word in print. The Bible is Jesus in print. It's living. He is the living word. We cannot separate his voice from his presence. When he speaks, he is. Hearing his voice means that we are standing in his presence. And I think this is why it's so unnerving for us, because I don't know, in our, in our modern Christian culture, we've done this weird thing where, like the presence is this weird mystical experience. That's just nonsense. In the Old Hebrew, in the New Testament as well, The Hebrew word for presence is ponim. It literally just means the face of God. If you know any Jewish people, especially uh, Jewish grannies and their grandchildren, you'll see them grabbing their little grandkids by the cheeks and they'll go, what a precious punim. (laughs) It's the modern Hebrew word. It just means what a precious face, what a cute little face. So the presence is standing before God's face. But he has the problem with that because when we stand before his face, he looks at us. He sees us. Even more scary for us is we see us. And so we cannot separate his voice from his presence. If you want to hear him, we're going to stand before him. And when we stand before him, we're going to find out a whole bunch of stuff about ourselves. And he's not shouting. He's not being cruel. He's not hurting us. It's just suddenly we see. You know, the Bible says in his light we become light. All that happens is we realize how dark we are. We realize how imperfect we are. That's all that's happened. He's not doing anything. He's just loving us. Because his face is joyful and happy. God loves you. Do you know a secret? I want to tell you a secret for every single one of you tonight. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. God likes hanging out with you. God gave you your personality and your character, and he delights in it. When he's with you, he sees the best in you. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. as soon as he hears it, he answers you. Sometimes we can't feel that, sometimes we don't sense it. Sometimes we feel like we're crying out and he's not answering. But when you are in the middle of difficulty and trouble and hoping for a breakthrough and there is a delay in answers and there is the anguish of your own heart, Isaiah said it's the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. When you have been believing, you have been confessing, you have been speaking scriptures, you've been doing every single thing you know to do and it feels like there's no answer, well, here's what you do. You don't quit. Okay, Why? Because the greatest breakthroughs so often come when you take one more step, or what is that? Meet him in his word. See, we pray and we pray and we pray, but sometimes we just need to open the Bible and listen to God. Sometimes we just need to open the Bible and let him convict our heart. Sometimes we need to open the Bible and declare his word until his presence comes and his face is upon us. he will hear us and he will answer. The second thing is your teacher will not hide. A teacher's job is to show us how to think about something, how to do something, and then to help us how to figure out how to apply it so that when we are faced with a situation or a circumstance that needs that particular knowledge, we can think and feel and act appropriately in that situation. In my studies, I've realized that if I can't apply it, I didn't learn it. It's as simple as that. I might know it. But if I can't take it and make it practical and figure out how it's going to fit into my life, I haven't learned it. Am I right, Demi? That's what teachers do. And what the Scripture is telling us is that we will see our teacher. He will not hide from us. This is what Jesus speaks. And so when, when the Lord speaks to you through his written word, it might not change your circumstances, but it will change you. Coming back to the first point I was making, when the answer is delayed, we get into the word of God. Why? Because whatever, whether the situation changes or not, you are going to change. That's what he teaches us. That's what he does. He teaches us how to apply the truth we know to this situation. And sometimes applied truth means forgiving. Sometimes applied truth means letting go of control. Sometimes applied truth means it's okay, I don't have to be right. It's hard. It's very hard. Remember what, what, what D.L. Moody said, we read the Bible to be transformed in our thinking, our feeling, and our acting. You know, we ask God for a lot of things. We want to do great things for God. We want to go out, and God wants to give us that. But we need to want to be changed into a person who is capable of holding the blessing we are asking for. Sometimes the delay in prayer is just that God needs to form some character in us. Have you ever held a gold bar? I remember in primary school, I think we went to Gold Reef City, and they they, they had like a little bar of gold, and we got to hold it. And I could not believe how heavy it was. Well, God wants to put gold inside of you. But if we can't carry that gold, it's going to crush us. We so often ask God to add something to our lives without us being transformed into the one who can be capable to steward well what we have asked for. And so sometimes the delay is all about us fighting to increase our faith and our understanding. Sometimes the delay is to bring a challenge to our life, to be disciplined, to live in the things God has already called us to do. For example, reading your Bible. Praying, spending time in God's presence, worshiping, going to connect group, going to church. These are things, we didn't make them up. They're commanded in scripture. If we can't even be disciplined to do those things, ouch. <laughs> How will we do greater things? Remember, what you love forms the liturgies of your heart. And we can think we want something, but we've got to be honest. If I only read the Bible two minutes a month, <laughs> but I'm on Instagram 29 hours a month, it's real. Thirdly, your ears will hear a word. Now, this is where we get into the grammar. If you've got your devices, if you've got your Bible, go and look at Isaiah chapter 30, what is it, verse 21, I think. Um, It says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying. Can you see it opens quotation marks? If you don't have a Bible with you, quotation marks open at that point. And then in the quotation marks, it says, this is the way, walk in it, and then the quotation marks end. Am I right, those who are looking at it? Can you see that? Then after that, it says this, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. So that is not part of the direct speech of God. Now, this is really important because I grew up believing that that verse said, and a voice shall speak behind you and tell you whether to go to the right or the left. That is not what it says at all. It says a voice will speak behind you, and what will the voice say? This is the way. Walk in it. Whether you go to the right or whether you go to the left, this is the way. This is the heart attitude. This is the world view. This is the expectation. And the good news about that is even if life forces you to the right when you wanted to go to, le- to the left, even if something happens that forces you to go left when you want it to go right, all God cares about is this. Now let's talk about purpose and destiny. Because... I'm going to be honest, one of the most frustrating things about my relationship with God is that He doesn't just tell me what to do. Can anybody in the room relate? Am I the only sinner here tonight? It frustrates us. All I want is your will. Tell me the choice you want me to make. I'll do it. I want to know His plan for my life. Just show me. And then we hear nothing. Anybody ever had that? Okay. Sometimes when we don't know what to do, we won't hear anything until we make a plan and start moving, and then suddenly he starts directing. Now, we all love this scripture, but we've used it incorrectly. Proverbs 3, verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So we think that means I need to start a new business, I'm looking for a wife, I want a promotion, I need a new car. Father God, I'm acknowledging you. You will make my path straight, and nothing happens. 17 years later, you're single and you hate God. What happened, Lord? Well, the Hebrew word for way, in all your ways, acknowledge him. It's literally road. Sitting on your couch, kneeling at your bed is not a road. Am I right? Sorry to be this direct, but this might be a rebuke. Are you ready for it? That is not a road. Where are roads? The the implication of that Hebrew word, it's direct. (laughs) How funny. In in Afrikaans, direct. You know, just go. Just do it. Be direct. Um, It literally, it, it implies a course of action. So, what the scripture is actually saying, when you're in your way and you see God, follow him. Maybe you're a little scared, (laughs) but then you see God and then you go, but you've got to be moving. If you're not doing anything, what can He direct? If you're not walking anywhere, how will He direct you? Even if you're just dragging yourself by your fingertips, but you're on the way. When you see Him, follow Him. So, to make it obvious, think of the biggest cruise ship you could possibly imagine in your whole life. Think of it. Can you see it in your brain? Now, think about the rudder of that ship. How big is it compared to the ship? Way small, right? Can you see it in your imagination? Now, when that massive boat is moored to a dock, and and they start moving that rudder, does anything happen? Do you have any sense of that happening? No. However, the second the engines start and the... It starts churning water, and it starts moving forward. That rudder becomes incredibly powerful. You can smash the boat into the dock, or you can take it out to sea. And that's a picture of this, in all your ways. And what I have experienced in my life, when I'm not hearing things, I just remember what God told me before. And I just keep doing that, and then I see Him. And then He directs my path. You know, as a prophetic person, I love revelation. I love receiving revelation from God. And I went through this phase where I just felt like I wasn't getting revelation. And I sat with the Lord, and I said, Lord, what is happening? And he said to me, well, you didn't do anything with the last revelation I gave you. So, and I was like, oh, yes. And I have realized, if I receive revelation, it's not just for the, the goosebumps of receiving revelation. It's for application. Get out there and do it, and then more will come. And so in this regard, when it comes to purpose and destiny and what I should do, here is the questions we have to ask ourselves. Do I want a road map more than a tour guide? And that comes back to the face of God. Do I, want do I actually want God to speak to me? Because then I'm going to have to stand in front of His face. Would I rather just have a map and just go for it than actually have to listen to a tour guide and interact with a person? Do I want a plan? Am I hungry for a plan or am I hungry for a person? You see, God wants all of us to act as sons who are trained to think and feel as He does. That only comes through relationship, it makes us nervous. Because he wants to change us. And because of that, he invites us into his word. Because it will transform us. This will change us if we heed it, if we listen to it. And then, just to end, Isaiah thirty twenty three. I mean, just incredible. And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground. And bread, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous in that day. Your livestock will graze. In large pastures, God is the one who gives the rain. He will give the rain. This is the seed we plant in the ground of our hearts. And that is our responsibility. If we will not plant seed when the rain comes, what will grow? if we read, study, meditate on the word of God, if we prove through time, thought, and effort that the word of God is something we love and trust, if we let the liturgies of our heart be formed first foremost by our honor of God and our honor of his word, if we plant what we hear from God as seed in our hearts, then we will be like those that Jesus spoke of in the parable of the sower, Mark 4, verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bathe fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Will we give God seed to water that He can increase thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold? So I want to end a little bit differently tonight. I want all of you just to think about your favorite scripture verse. And this is a, an activation, so we're not going to look at the whole paragraph. Maybe there's just one or two scriptures, no more than that. Maybe you, you actually have one or two scriptures that have really been speaking to you, blessing you over the, recently, whichever one of those is. If you can't remember where that verse is, use your Google, I do it all the time, and find that verse and read it. And then I want you just to ask those two questions of that text. What is this telling me about God? What is it telling me about myself. I'm going to give you three minutes to do that. Zelis is going to come up. He's going to time you in a moment. And then it's this weird COVID season, so why don't we connect a little bit and as soon as Zelis tells you your time's up, just get into groups of three. Keep socially distanced. You can move all around the room, even into the foyer. And take a moment and share, answer those questions with each other. Share your scripture and say, this is what I think it tells me about God. This is what I think it tells me about us. Does that make sense to you? So, Lord, as we remember our favorite scriptures, as we ask those questions tonight, I thank you that you are going to be a voice behind us telling us this is the way. Remind us, God, that when we cry out, you answer us. God, your promise is that we will see our teacher, that he will not be hidden. May that happen tonight, Lord. And bless us, God, wherever we have made other things Our love, Lord God, would you just challenge that in our hearts, and would you show us how we can move our affections and direct our affections back to you and back to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.